0: <clears throat> Genesis chapter 14. Take your scriptures if you have them. I trust you do and we will turn there. Notice the coordination. Genesis chapter 14. January the 14th. Huh? Is this a well-oiled machine or what? I want to welcome every single one of you. Those who have committed what regardless of the cold and the wind... You are here this morning. I commend the fortitude of um, each one of you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your presence here with sm- this morning. The joy it is to sing that it is in Christ alone rests our hope. Father, we thank you for a day of celebration as we unite together new members as part of the body of Christ. In your faithfulness, almost four decades of your hand of blessing and protection over Big Woods. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to sustain us, to strengthen us. With your word open before us, Lord, and this opportunity, I would ask that you would please give me clarity of thought and mind and speech. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. May we hear your voice this morning. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us. Bless us now. May your children hear May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. Be pleasing unto you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen very, very briefly, high-level review. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13. Abram has been the key character, called by God to go to a land that God would show him, and he went to this land of Canaan. God promised that he would be blessed, he would be a great nation, his name would be great, and that one day he would be given this land famine hits and there's seasons of faithlessness just like in every single one of our lives and yet we know that abram returns after this brief trip to egypt uh, what not to do he returns to bethel the place that he was supposed to be in the first place and worships the one true god It says he calls upon the name of the lord and i remind you many times you'll see capital l capital o capital r capital day it speaks d it speaks of what the hebrew word of being i am who i am the covenant keeping god the lord the god of abraham in john chapter 8 it says before abraham was i before abraham i was so we have abram in this place back and and we know that worship is present And in a sense what the famine is over and yet there's strife as we saw last week between the the, the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram. And so Abram knowing and trusting that God is gonna be faithful to his word gives Lot the first choice and Lot chooses the best for himself and he ends up in a foolish and dangerously close place to evil, close to Sodom. Kind of ended up last week of reminding that that the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 1, we should not be like a lot. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. We don't even get close to, as Lot chose to do. So he is now, in a sense, dwelling in, around, closely to Sodom. Let's pick up the narrative now in Genesis chapter 14. Now there's a lot of names here, and you can follow along as I read. I will do the best that I can. Verses 1 through 16 for our text this morning. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> Here it is. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Ketaleomar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Guyam, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, do you remember, king of Zoboyam, and the king of Bala, that is Zoar, and all these joined forces in the valley of Siddam, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Kedalamar. But in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedalamar and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Raphium and Ashtaroth, carneum and zuzum in Ham, the the Emim in Sheva-Kerithayim, and the Horites in their hill country of Sayar, as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En-Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Malachites and all the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zoboiam, and the king of Bela, that is is, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidom with Kedalamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyam, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. The valley of Sidom was full of bitumen pits. And as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. And the people. The word of the Lord. Now there's a lot. Is this a geography lesson? Is this a lesson with what trying to pronounce really, really hard names? Very quickly, you'd hear this text and you say, like, what in the world is happening here? Okay? I've had some time to examine this. Here's, here's my first very deep theological point you can write this down remember it number one the region is a mess that's what's happening here now it may or may not surprise you but before there was conflict in the middle east there was conflict in the middle east It has always been, this is referred to historically as the battle at the valley of Siddam about 2085 BC. And here is the summary. Let's just kind of get to the point here. You have five wicked Canaanite kings who have united together and rebelled against four really, really wicked Mesopotamian kings or overlords. So think about this. What happens when there is a rebellion in an occupied region? When there's a rebellion in an occupied region, you squash the rebellion. That's exactly what the four kings did as they simply led a campaign to reassert their authority. Be assured of this, conflict is not to be a surprise. Do not be shocked when you what? Hear the news, read the news, see the news of what happens in a sin-filled world. Whether Israel, Gaza, Yemen, Ukraine, sudan that's that's just presently right now as we look the world around us it is often quoted as saying nothing is as common to the history of the human race as war which means what there was conflict throughout the entire old testament you will literally see tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands. As a matter of fact, one of what? The key descendants of Abram, David, who's in the lineage of Jesus. It says, shed much blood. There was much blood on his hands. There was conflict, and what? There is conflict today. Jesus taught in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. There was conflict, there is conflict, and and here, hold on to this, there will be conflict in the days to come. Again, Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 24 that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Jesus says this himself, see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom will rise against kingdom. And this is exactly the case of this particular region. Now we see what, as a result of Lot's decision to move closer to Sodom, he moves closer to danger. Think of a boiling pot as it spills over its edges, so war, so conflict, rarely stays within its borders. Which means what? People suffer. Others suffer. They get sculled and burned and scarred. And be assured of this, it is a tactic of the enemy who's whose whose sole goal is to bring destruction upon everyone and everything. First, the region is a mess. Secondly, Lot is kidnapped. While Lot chose the lushness and the green of the Jordan Valley, you have to understand that its closeness to evil should have brought pause to Lot, but it didn't. It was like many people, the bright lights of the big city kind of drew him in. And what people don't realize is this, it actually drew a lot of people in. Sodom was part of a pentopolis, which is a group of five cities that have been for years paying tribute Two to four kings that have formed an alliance together from the East. But upon rebellion of the five, what happens are the four will literally crush them into submission through an international coalition of forces. They are big and they are powerful. Here they are, King. Kedeleomar is from modern day Iran. King Amraphel is from modern day Iraq. King Ariok and King Tidal were from modern day Turkey. And so the goal is what? The objective is what? Of the four larger international armies. In a sense, it's twofold. They want to subdue the entire region. Transjordan and Sinai. And particularly they want to subdue the four Dead Sea kings. They're in that region of the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah was. And that is exactly, that is exactly what they did. It says that what? After a year of planning and preparation after this rebellion. We know historically that they would have had to move west down the Euphrates, and then south through Damascus to Canaan and the Jordan Valley. Scripture says what? They joined battle in the Valley of Sidom." And it says very specifically, four kings against five. Now to be brief, and let's get to the story here, I'll spare you the details. The four kings literally cleaned house. They crushed them into submission. One historian describes the victory of the four kings over the five kings like this. They fell to them like overripe fruit from a tree. Not only were the armies of the four kings too powerful for the five, but what? The rugged terrain proved to be too much for them. It's interesting here because you get a little geography lesson as far as what? As noted, where the Salt Sea is, that is what we refer to as the Dead Sea. And to this day, if you've ever traveled there, it is is dead and dry and barren and a lifeless region. And there's bitumen pits. Depending on the translation that you have before you, some, some call it a slime pit or a tar pit or an asphalt pit. It's simply an opening in the rock Where what we know that decayed material under pressure has formed in a sense petroleum and oil sits on the top and as it seeps down in it gets thicker and thicker and thicker into the tar. You step into it and you're lost. That's actually what happened. Others it says fled to the high country which was what in Getty where David later was. And so what's happening here? We have this one guy Lot I call him just the extra spare tire. He's just always there. What painful irony for this man, Lot, who had greedily chosen for himself the very best, and his decision proved disastrous. What's the result? So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, all their provisions... They went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions, and went their way. The story moves, narrative moves rather rapidly here. The region is a mess. Lot is kidnapped. Thirdly and finally, what? Abram goes to war. And this is, in a sense, where we need to rest as we consider our subject matter for the day he led forth his trained men abram goes to war someone said i hadn't been looking for trouble but it seemed that now that i'd found it i wasn't running from it either think think here for a moment this is abram the the, the shepherd, the herdsman. Abram, the traveler. Abram, the worshiper. Abram, the peacemaker, as we saw last week, becomes what? He becomes Abram, the general. And this is a chapter, in all honesty, if you were to kind of like go through the children's Bible story of what Abram, this is usually not a part that makes it. A lot of people aren't aware of this story They're not aware of Abram the general. God's man. God's chosen. God's faithful. God's promise for the future is going to come to the rescue, is going to go to war. Which reminds us at some level what? Where there are innocents that are pulled in there is, and this is a whole nother subject, but there is what? Reminding us a time for just war. So here it is. Last week, a shepherd, if you recall, came running into Abram's tent. Hey, hey, boss, we got a problem here. There's strife, and it's yeah, it's it's lot. Now, this week, and we're not told the name of the person, we're not told who, but apparently it's one who had been kidnapped along with the others. He'd been dragged off with Lot, but he escapes. Very quickly and very quietly, he makes his way to Abram's tent, and basically what? Hey, Abram, we got a problem. Lot. Again. What's interesting here, and just a little side note: This is the first time when it says what that this this individual who escaped and come, he told Abram the Hebrew. Now this is the first time we've been at this for what year year plus now, fourteen chapters. This is the first time the word Hebrew is mentioned in all of Scripture. And it's here purposely, clearly, to identify the ethnicity back to, just real quick, probably what, May? A direct line from Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. That's where we get the word Hebrew from. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, their nations spread abroad on the earth. And it's just a little, just a little word, a little note, a little reminder that what there is a perfect and precise plan that is being put into place to protect and preserve this line, the lineage to the Messiah, which will eventually come. And a lot of time we're just like, hey, Abram, the Hebrew. No, no, no. Notice the details here. Abram, what gets word? And he could have, think if this is you, getting word that one of your family members are in trouble. Abram could have done nothing. He, He could have what? Well, Lot made his choice. Lot wanted the best for himself. Lot chose to move closer to danger. So be it. Hopefully, he'll learn his lesson. But no, that's, that's not what Abram does. Because there's this word again. And we kind of saw it demonstrated even before us this morning. as We received, what, more into our fellowship, into our body. No, this is what? This is Lot, the kinsman. So, yes, My own family members have made some selfish decisions. My own family members have made unwise decisions, but it's family. He's family. Just pause for a moment. Think about how you treat those close to you who have been kidnapped, captured, or caught in sin. What is your response? Let them be. Leave them there. Or is your response, "I got to go get them"? What should we do? Paul writes in Galatians chapter six, brothers, sisters, if if anyone is caught, if anyone is overtaken in any transgression in any sin you which are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness proverbs chapter 5 says what describes that sin actually ensnares them and yet from the information that we are given in our text regarding abram's response you don't have to read much Before you realize just how prepared, how ready, how quick, how precise, how accurate, how effective his rescue operation was. As he gets word, this is not, this is not, whoa, what are we going to do here? Does somebody have a flashlight? Does somebody have some rope? They're like the first things that we look for. We don't know what we're going to do with it. Do, do we have some rope? Does someone have like some beef jerky here? A canteen? Where's the sword? That's not the case here at all. No, immediately there's these two words, and it says that he led. And I thought about that for a moment. And I'm struck with the fact that what leaders lead, husbands lead, uncles lead, fathers and grandfathers lead. The definition of lead means literally to go before, or it means to go first. You know what that means? It says that you, as a leader, will take the bullet before anyone else will we will protect that's our responsibility as we lead yes it's hard to do that yes it's tough and scary no doubt that abram felt all of those things but he led let me pause here for a moment maybe you are new to big woods or maybe you have forgotten about something that we teach here at Big Woods, particularly to those who are called to lead, particularly to the men amongst us, according to what we see in the word of God. What we teach here is, is maybe different than what other people teach in the world around us. We teach something, as a matter of fact, we're going to be spending a couple days on this subject of moving from Milk to meat at our upcoming men's retreat. First weekend in February. If you're not signed up, you, you, you better do that. Because listen very carefully. It talks about the fact that leaders cannot exist on a steady diet of milk. Okay, babies, babies drink milk. Leaders and men eat meat. Well, what is that? That is the meat of the word of God. It strengthens us. It prepares us. Which means what? Man, you can go to the gym. And you can can grunt and sweat and get all the muscles you want. Man, you can go get all the tattoos you want. Drink all the beer you want. Drive the big lifted pickup truck. Okay? But if you are not in the Word... If you're not feeding on the meat of the word every single day, you are weak. Want me to say it again? I don't need to say it again because you heard me the first time. I can assure you of that. Pathetically weak. If you're what? A follower of Jesus now for weeks, months, years, and you're still nourishing yourself on, on the baby's bottle. We have men that refuse to take the initiative to lead as God has called us and equipped us to lead. We get strength from above, not in ourselves. I was reading my notes yesterday as I heard the wind blowing outside as we even do at this moment. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, and there was no Christmas tree to look at because we just took it down the day before. I was thinking, I missed the Christmas tree already. But as, as when took out, as I, I took out the Christmas tree, okay? But, and then when he decorates, and then she puts up like the winter stuff. And, and we always have in our home, which I hope is like normal. We put up verses and pictures with, with scripture on them. And it's just normal for us. It's natural. We've always done that. As I was sitting there reading my notes, I began to, to, to look and read the different scripture of 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 pictures, and and there was a theme to them that I don't think I've recognized before. And this is what's literally on walls, pictures in our living room. His mercies are new every morning. Another one says, His grace is sufficient. Another one said, above the fireplace, it says, we love because He loved us. Another one behind me, right by the door, says, What? He is the potter. We are the clay. And there's a lot of like he out there. And you're like, is somebody else living in this home here. Yeah. Yeah, there is somebody else living in this home. He is. God is present with us. Every bit of our strength and our focus comes from him and him above thus the reason that we feed and are strengthened through the meat of his word. Is it terrifying? Yes, it's terrifying. You better believe it. Napoleon often referred to the French commander Marshal Ney as, quote, the bravest man he had ever known. Yet, Ney's knees often literally trembled or they shook one morning his knees were shaking so bad he actually had trouble mounting his horse when he finally settled into the saddle he shouted shake away knees you would shake worse if you knew where i'm going to take you and i love that Because there's this element of responsibility that we're called to lead that is terrifying for us. But that's not an excuse to sit on your couch and do nothing. I have no doubt that Abram, like any one of us, was fearful as he led his men that night. But he went. He went. And there was no turning back. He along with what? He had a couple friends with him. Some allies. And 318 others that were born in a sense. It says that they were trained in his home. With sharpened swords. Arrows fixed. Spears thrust into the sky they rode off a hundred and twenty miles as far as dan this is no just be assured this is no like ragtag bunch of farmers with pitchforks here okay there is intentional language of strategic warfare it's very very clear Some of the phrases that we read, let me direct your attention, that they were trained men. They were in pursuit. They divided his forces against them. By night, it says that they defeated them and they brought back all. The elements of surprise, knowledge of how the enemy thinks and works and moves. It was all there. And what most importantly, there was a clear objective In mine. As they rode 120 miles, I'm certain that Abram led his men with a similar motto of the very famous French legion. If I falter, push me. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, shoot me. There's just there's just something here. As someone rides off to go rescue someone that is reminiscent of the Apostle Paul, who I don't think, if he was standing before us, was a very intimidating physical specimen. And yet he tells us what? That together as a church, we are to be steadfast and immovable. How, how lacking. Is that description today? We are to be steadfast and unmovable. Swords rang out in the night, and Abram's well planned attack and the surprise simply routed the evil enemies of the east. And Lot was rescued. Lot was brought back. So, so here's, here's the narrative, okay? It's pretty clear. It's pretty simple. The region's a mess. Lot is kidnapped. Abram goes to war. Now let me, let me set it up here for the application of the text. First and foremost, this is not a call to paint your face, to saddle up and attack, okay? To go to war. It's not it's not that. And the reason is this. We're already at war. We're already in the midst of a battle. Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, what take up the whole armor of God that you would be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. In a sense, it speaks about the reality of the spiritual warfare that we are presently in. Don't be surprised. John chapter 18, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, it's not about chasing, hunting down, and attacking the enemy. That's why it's never, what, conquer under the cross. The crusaders were dead wrong. This is not about, what, Christian nationalism or going out and throwing rocks at the enemies and hoping for utopia here on this earth. It's not about that. You know what it's about? It's about seeing souls, people, it's about seeking to go after the lost. Those who have been kidnapped by the enemy. Now, now, do you do you see like this do you see the similarity around us today? Like this is really simple. The world is a mess, and like Lot, many have been kidnapped by sin. And as Abram goes to war, we recognize that we are already in one. A lot of similarities, but there's something that is very, very different. It's totally different. If you hear nothing else this morning, you want to hear this. Instead of many going to rescue one, there is one who has what? Rescued many as abram was to lot so jesus is to us you, you get it he's everywhere in the old testament there's a horrible heresy that says we don't need the old testament any longer it's just just it's just it's bloodshed it's violent it's ugly it's dark There's like pits of clay where people are falling into and tar. We just don't need it. Let's unhitch is the term from the Old Testament. That is dead wrong. Why? Because you see the gospel everywhere. Everywhere. Instead of many going to rescue one, there's one who rescues many. John chapter 1 and verse 14 I I read it, and I've heard it described like this. The most important verse in all the Bible. John chapter 1 and verse 14. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to our rescue. Romans 5. By one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous jesus did not sit idly by in heaven saying yeah they they made a really bad decision on that one jesus didn't do that jesus didn't wait for us to deserve what redemption to be rescued no no jesus left the glories of heaven and he came to rescue us now what now what Now we are called to tell others about Jesus. Go into all the world and make disciples. Everything rises and falls. Teach them to obey. Teach them to observe what? To eat the meat of the word. To obey all that I have commanded. And I love this. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How about in Matthew chapter 18, when there's the parable of what the lost sheep, and Jesus leaves as the good shepherd. He leaves the 99, and he goes on a rescue mission to bring back the one. You see, that's what's unique about the Church of Jesus Christ, the one who's wandered off, the one who's made poor decisions, the one who's what stuck, snared in sin, the world what? Let them go, let them be. No, that's that's not that's not us. So today, what? See that the world is a don't don't be surprised. Okay, don't be shocked. Don't be blind. And certainly, as we learned this a couple weeks ago, don't be disengaged from the world just because the world's a mess. You don't put your head in the sand, ever. Know, like Lot, that what? Many have been kidnapped by sin. Have you ever given thought that maybe you at this very moment need to be rescued? That the enemy has drug you off And you're lost and confused and disoriented and scared. That's that's why we gather here, to know that you're not alone. Trust the one, Jesus Christ, who has gone to war for us. He left heaven and he came to get you, to bring you safely home, regardless of the fact that just like Lot, you may have made some horrible decisions in your life. When we trust that ourselves, what do we end up with? We tell everyone. We tell everyone, you have to hear that I was totally lost. I had been drugged, off, kicking and screaming and terrified and, and someone came to rescue me. We tell everyone about how Jesus has rescued you even when what? Your knees are shaking in fear. But I'm just not one who likes to speak it's just my faith is a private thing. No, no, you've been rescued. You have a, a story to celebrate. We tell people that story and we tell them about the one who loved us enough to die on the cross to suffer in our place. So we put our faith and trust in the full and finished work of Jesus. We don't live chained. as, as captors. As captives, we live free. Jesus Christ says what? You should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. May we be a church that holds and hugs to this truth, rejoicing in the rescue mission of Jesus Christ and shouting to others that he has come to rescue you as well. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word and Lord, a a story tucked away in the midst of the Old Testament that a lot of people don't even know. We can't even pronounce the names. And yet Jesus arrives. And I thank you for that. Lord, this, this very moment, may you encourage hearts, speak to hearts. Those who are lost, may they simply ask someone sitting next to them, I need help. That today would be the day of salvation. I pray that men husbands and fathers and leaders would have boldness from you in spite of the fear that it's so easy and natural for us to trust you. Father, we ask for protection. Protection, especially on our loved ones. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us to be ones who are truth tellers, speaking truth in love. That we are concerned for the lost. That we're obedient to scripture. And we would go knowing that you are with us. Even to the end of the age. We ask this in Jesus name.